Nicholas Bornelius of Capitalink, and I am again privileged to welcome you to another mm -hmm. uh, terrific panel. This panel is not focusing on sector fundamentals uh, as most of our panels so far, but it's focusing on corporate strategy, which is a very important, uh, actually every shipping company has to deal with corporate strategy. And we have with us uh, four major uh, industry participants uh, sharing with us their insight on corporate strategy, capital allocation, diversification, fleet renewal, and so on. Uh, I will turn it over to Ted Jarek, uh, our partner for the conference and uh, conference chairman, who is going to introduce our panelists. I would only like to say that uh, Jerry Kalogeratos of Capital Product Partners, who was supposed to be on this panel, cannot be, uh, even though he would like to. Uh, as we all know, they publicly launched uh, a bond offering, a euro bond offering uh, in Greece, and therefore he cannot be on a public panel while the uh, bond offering is going on. Uh, so without any more delay, I will turn it over to Ted. And again, thank you to all the panelists for being, for being on this great panel. Thank you, Nicholas. Um, and good morning again, everyone. Um, let me briefly introduce the panelists. We have George Akniotis, CEO, CFO of the Navios Group. We have John Wobensmith, CEO of Genco Shipping and Trading. We have Ulrich Anderson, uh, CEO of Golden Ocean Shipping. And we have Paulo Almeida, a co-chief investment officer with Tufton Investment Management Limited. Good morning, guys, and uh, welcome. Thank you for, uh, for participating on the panel here. Um, so we have, um, my, my, my standard introduction is we have 50 minutes allocated. We have four mouths to feed. Um, I'm going to start with questions that I will ask all, uh, all panelists to address. And then we've got uh, some individual questions for, for each of you. And we'll see how much time allows for, for those. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll plan on a mix of both. So, um, you know, charting corporate strategies, uh, Interesting topic, a um, lot of dynamics in the market these days, the usual plus uh, the, growing, the growing pressure and, and, and influence of, of regulation, um, a lot of it having to do with decarbonization. So I think um, you know, charting strategy around all of these different elements, um, I'm sure is, 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 a more, is a more challenging job than, than, than maybe you had two or three or four years ago. Um, let's start with with uh, capital allocation strategy, if we could. Uh, and could could each of you guys talk about kind of the key the key elements in 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 in, in your in your respective strategies? And uh, John Wilden Smith, let's start with you, please. Okay. Good morning, Ted. Thanks for uh, thanks for hosting this. It's been a, been a while. My pleasure. Good to see you. Great. Um, so our uh, our capital allocation strategy is um, is built on basically three main pillars: um, a high dividend payout model, uh, which we're going to be putting in uh, in place in full in the uh, first quarter of uh, 2022 basis, fourth quarter's cash flows. Um, Deleveraging, which we've done uh, quite a bit of this year. Um, and uh, it, it's not just been a factor of the, uh, the market going up in terms of asset values, but if you look at what we're targeting in terms of our debt outstanding at the end of the year of $250 million, that means we've, we will have paid off 44% of our debt since 
January one of this year. So it, it not, you know, deleveraging has taken place from asset values, but we've actually been paying our debt down significantly as well. And then growth, we, uh, we do still feel um, it's a good time in terms of return on capital to do fleet renewal, which we've done quite a bit of um, over the last 18 months, um, as well as looking at, uh, as well as looking at new transactions. Just going back to the dividend for a second, because it is, it is important you know, our view is that it needs to be sustainable through any cycle, um, which is why we are delevering in a very major way, ultimately targeting a medium term of zero net debt. Um, and we're also establishing a reserve that will build up on a quarterly basis that we can use for fleet renewal, smoothing out quarterly dividends or, uh, or share repurchases. And we believe, we believe this model should work very well. We, we feel that there's already a tremendous amount of operating leverage built in naturally to the shipping industry um, and taking the, the, the high financial leverage away, we just think presents a much better risk reward model uh, for, uh, for shareholders and investors. Thank you very much. Um, Ulrich, let me, uh, let me direct the question to you, please. Yeah, thank you. And um, thanks for having me on the panel here today. Uh, I'll, be, uh, I'll be quick uh, for Golden Ocean on the capital allocation uh, strategy. It, it, it's a fluid thing. It's something that is changing over time. But essentially what it comes down to is creating a, a shareholder value in the, in the short term and in the long term. I'd say we have this year grown our fleet quite uh, aggressively. Um, uh, while we have also paid out dividends, we've tried to balance it. I think where we are seeing the world now, or how we see the world now, is that uh, that we have sort of placed our bets. We have increased the fleet to the to the extent that we that we wanted, and now we are looking more towards um, uh, towards uh, uh, making money, uh, and of course also uh, paying out dividends, which is uh, which is an integral part of our our strategy as well. So our focus has has, has shifted a little bit. Um, from, uh, from 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 growing to uh, now, uh, what can you say? Harvesting, I would call it. So that's shortly how we how we are positioning ourselves at the moment. So with regards to uh, to leverage, I can just quickly say we are around fifty percent, maybe slightly below that debt to equity, and and uh, we feel that is a that is a, a good place to be. So um so most of our uh, can you say uh, cast the the cast that we're generating is uh, is 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 going towards uh, yeah towards uh, towards dividends. Thank you, thank you, uh, George Acnyotis. Could you could you uh, address the question, please? Yeah, thank you, Ted, and uh, good morning to all. I mean, this year was a transformative year for uh, Navius Partners. Uh, we have transformed into a, a diversified company with presence in dry bulk containers and tankers. Uh, we believe that the diversification will allow us to invest in the right sector at the right time. I think we will all agree that uh, the best opportunities appear at the lower part of a cycle. Uh, that's when companies should want to expand uh, when asset values are, are low. And uh, we see that as the main weakness of uh, pure play companies, that at the bottom of the cycle, it's more difficult to expand. Leverage increases as asset values uh, reduce. Uh, cash flows uh, are stressed. And um, as charter rates uh, drop. So it becomes more expensive to raise capital and more difficult to obtain financing in order to, to be able to grow. 
and we have seen companies you know buy assets uh, at inflated prices at the top of the market and selling at the loss uh, at the bottom of the market because they had to raise uh, liquidity so our diversification allows us allows us to generate more predictable cash flows uh, over time capitalize on cross segment opportunities and grow creatively at the right time you know our intention is not to call the top or the bottom of the market uh, precisely for each cycle but uh, to make sure that uh, directionally we're in the right zip code uh, every time. Thank you, thank you, uh, Paulo. You you are you are little representing a little bit of a different um, vehicle here, uh, being an investment manager with with uh, managing private equity funds of, of clients and and as well as a, a listed uh, a listed vehicle uh, listed in London. Um, how do you think about? capital allocation on, on kind of a broad level. Yeah, thanks, 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 Ted. So that, that's, uh, that's quite right. Although um, we do have um, uh, some significant elements of both what uh, John mentioned and, um, and George mentioned uh, as well. Um, we've invested about a billion dollars um, since um, early 2015, um, about uh, two thirds of that has been in a couple of, of private funds with that hold diversified portfolios of ships. Um, and about a third of that, a bit more now, um, is in our London listed fund, Tufton Oceanic uh, assets. Mm -hmm. um, all of those funds um, have uh, diverse portfolios. I mean, very roughly the Tufton portfolio at the moment is actually about a third each um, tankers, uh, container ships, uh, and bulkers. Um, nearly all the vessels that we have are what we call small to mid-size workhorses. We only have one bulker larger than uh, Ultramax. Uh, we have uh, quite a lot of, um, we have about 25 in total, um, Supermaxes, Ultramaxes, uh, and, and handy size. Uh, in the tanker sector, we've opportunistically invested in, in uh, Suez Maxes a couple of years ago, which was, um, you know, great, great timing. We didn't call the floating storage boom, but we thought that it, uh, values were very attractive in um, mid to late 2019. And we've actually um, exited most of those assets uh, in the meantime and produced very, very good returns despite having um, little to no leverage. Um, on nearly uh, those assets, on nearly um, all of those assets. Um, and, but the focus um, over the past uh, few years since the IPO of our listed fund has been um, uh, on that vehicle, which now has about a $400 million market cap. It was the first London listed shipping company of any sort, um, sorry, shipping exposure. We're not really a shipping company, uh, but a shipping exposure um, in, in the London market for many years. And we're the first um, listed uh, shipping fund and possibly the first um, listed shipping fund um, in the world. Um, that portfolio uh, is also roughly, as of now, about a third each of the three main segments. We have very little leverage. It's less than 10% um, uh, net leverage um, in that vehicle. We have just about two years of um, average charter coverage. And the, the key element of that strategy, though, that's facilitated by the, those other um, elements of the strategy is that we pay a high and fixed uh, dividend that produces roughly about a 70, uh, 7 percent dividend yield. So we pay a fixed amount 
uh, per quarter. We've actually raised our dividend uh, twice this year. Um, clearly that uh, yield, which is fixed, sorry, the dividend, which is fixed on a, on a share price that moves slightly means that the uh, yield moves a bit, but we're targeting about 7%. And that's, that's the key thing that our investors, at least mm-hmm. in the London um, market are buying is that very visible dividend. Uh, and also they find shipping attractive because historically it's been a very good inflation hedge. Um, our investors were concerned about inflation even before um, uh, you know, the COVID impact and supply chains. Um, and also they see it as an attractive diversifier um, in that it was very difficult, if not impossible, for many European investors, and especially in the UK, to get access to shipping as an asset class until we, uh, we listed our fund in 2017. Thank you. Uh, okay, I'm going shift, to uh, shift to some, some specific individual questions. And Paulo, I'll, I'll, I'll stay with you. And I think you, you, were, you were touching on it. The London listing is is different. Uh, it, 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 it's unique. Uh, you know, mo- many of your peers, if not all, are listed in other venues. New York, Oslo being, I guess, the primary other two markets. Um, why London, and what are the benefits uh, from from uh, from from the company's perspective and and the investors' perspective? Sure. So um, you know, l- part of the reason in London, of course, is that we you know Tufton is is headquartered. Uh, in London, so you know we're considered um, very much part of the investment community and the um, the maritime community here. Uh, it's you know one of the major um, uh, maritime hubs. The the key reasons, however, um, are one that in in the UK um, there is a, 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 a quite significant listed fund market. Clearly, closed ended funds also exist. Um, uh, in the U.S. and and Capital Link um, had a conference on closed-ended funds and and similar um, investment vehicles last week or two weeks ago, in which I I participated in. Um, but within within the London market, it's much it's it's a much bigger portion of the overall market cap of the London Stock Exchange. So we have quite a, a large universe of alternative uh, investment funds. We have a couple now in shipping because um, we came to market in 2017. There's also now Taylor Maritime Investments, which is, on, so we are diversified. They are focused in handy size uh, bulkers. We have two music royalties funds, um, which I'm pretty sure don't exist in the US in listed format, but is a, are available to private investors. And we have you know, dozens of infrastructure uh, funds, both equity and debt. Um, some focused on specific sectors like solar, um, um, student housing um, funds. So there's a very um, mature market here for you know mid-sized investors, so smaller charities, very large family offices, and some of the traditional long-only investors who are looking for z- these diversifiers. And because there are quite a lot of these in London, we're pretty well researched as well, um, mm-hmm. which. Um, has been a str- you know has probably been a struggle for uh, the shipping industry in in New York less so in Oslo but in New York over much of the past five or ten years when the um, research coverage although now it's expanded again um, it has has been quite limited for a lot of that period. Hmm. Thank you, thank you, uh, John Wolvensmith. Let me shift to you um, and you know we we had a panel yesterday on the dry bulk 
on the on the dry bulk market itself, um, I think the the, the the pretty uniform consensus is is things you know look to remain robust. Um, I want you to talk about, if you would, how you see the dry bulk market fundamentals uh, looking forward. But but you know, kind of in the context of 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 the corporate strategy topic, you know, give give you know, what is your outlook? And and given that outlook, how do you think about uh, you know, the company strategy uh, over, over you know, the next two to three years or longer. Yeah, I mean, so look, I, uh, unfortunately, I did not have a chance to, to listen to that panel yesterday, but, but, I, but I do understand it was, uh, it was quite, quite bullish uh, for the next few years. I, I, would, I would agree with that. And I, I think we can also all agree, while, uh, while the demand fundamentals are strong, um, this is really, in my mind, more of a supply story um, and the fact that you've got a historically low uh, order book and you're effectively not able to, uh, to order in, until maybe you can get delivery late 23 or, or early 2024. So the supply side um, looks very much intact. You just do not need a lot of demand growth uh, to continue to build off of um, what we've seen this year in terms of demand outstripping the, uh, the growth going forward. Um, asset values have moved up. There, there's, there's no doubt about it, and they've moved up quite substantially, but they, are, they still seem to be playing catch up to, uh, to rates and what you can do in the, in the time charter market. Um, you know, five, five-year-old vessels you can put away under two-year charters and and pay off half the half the purchase price today, which um, which we have which we have done with some of the ships that uh, that we purchased, you know, five or six months ago. Um, and so you're you're able again to to de-risk very effectively. Again, we're while we're focused on fleet renewal, we're still focused on growth because of the compelling return on capital. The the delevering and, and getting ourselves to that target of 250 at the end of the year. Um, is is very important, and I and I think we're we're well on the way to that target. Um, and again, I, I just go back to the risk reward model of low leverage and and a high dividend payout structure. I you know George touched on you know some interesting mistakes of the past that uh, that companies have made, and and I, and I would say you know Genco uh, certainly was part of that um, you know a, a decade ago, but you know high leverage combined with unsustainable dividends, it doesn't work. Um, and so, you know, and, and dilutive equity offerings don't work when you, when you need to raise cash because you're too levered. Um, and then adding to the new building order book, that, that doesn't work. Um, so what we've tried to do is, you know, take those mistakes and, and form the company so that, uh, so that we don't ever have to go down any of those paths again um, and deal with, you know, set the company up for low leverage in a continued volatile market, be able to return cash to shareholders consistently on a quarterly basis. The worst thing you can ever have to do is that we all know is turn off a dividend. That is, that is, that is death. And so, you know, when we push our cash flow break even rate um, down to the lowest in the peer group, which will be in the low $7,000 a day, they're just, they're very, very few markets and they're usually very short term where you would have negative operating cash flow if you look back 20 years. So that is, um, that's our main focus. Um, again, I still think the, the market is attractive for acquisitions, but I do like 
the the ability to de-risk those with a with a first class charter um, and and bring you know bring that bring that purchase price down over over a two year period. The follow up question: if if, if 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 you can if you can find a, a good quality modern secondhand vessel in the market and and lock up that charter, why why can't the existing owner do it? I mean, I, I would just think that's a challenge. It must be challenging to uh, to kind of shake free uh, you know attractive vessels in the secondhand market in, in a market like this. Look, it's still a liquid market. I mean, there there are you know there, I would say there are less um, there are less eco capes, if you will, or Newcastle maxes for sale. But when you get down into the Campser maxes, the Ultra maxes, it's it it's actually fairly liquid. There are still plenty of assets that are available. And again, I look at the proposition of you know, do you go out and order a new build versus, you know, dip into the secondhand market if, if you want to grow? And I mean, you, you can just take a resale Campser Max and again, you can pay off 25% of that in, in one year and you're well below um, anything on, on the new build front. And you don't have that risk that you're sitting out there for two years and you're certainly not adding to the fleet. Um, yeah. So, and I, and I think this was a big topic actually, from what I understand in, in the dry bulk panel is, and I think everyone agreed that definitely you know, <laughs> got to stop the new builds. Yeah, um, yeah. You, know, it, you just can't get tempted. And there's plenty of, of environmentally friendly uh, tonnage out there um, that, that you can still acquire. Yeah, thank you. All right, so yeah, yeah, there was there was a clear consensus on new buildings in yesterday's dry bulk panel. And so this is a natural flip to you, Ulrich, because as you mentioned, um, you guys have, have have grown the fleet significantly in, in 20, 2021, um, a large transaction involving your affiliated uh, company uh, with, I believe, involving 18 vessels. But then you actually went out and did order new buildings. Um, so I, I'd be I'd be curious if you could kind of walk us through the thought process around around uh, around each step. Yeah, no, it's correct. We have uh, grown uh, substantially <clears throat> this year. As you say, we have increased the fleet with 25 vessels. It's a 33% increase, so 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 transformative uh, uh, for sure. Uh, that said, we have still managed to pay out 150 million in dividends as well, uh, should I say, uh, for the first six months. So, uh, yeah, it's been a testament to, to how strong the market has been. I guess also our priorities. Um, so yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like the the black sheep here on the on the panel having uh, having ordered recently. But let's remember the eighteen vessels were already on water, uh, so um, so they uh, they were certainly not new builds. And uh, and now yes, we have uh, we have pulled uh, the trigger for seven uh, seven cancer maxes. Um, so uh, so uh, so uh, that was I think you see you need to see that in a light of a general renewal of the fleet. Um, we have. 100 vessels, uh, and uh, what can you say? Seven vessels is not a is not a huge order uh, for us. But what it does is that it paves the way to uh, the way to um, to uh, release some of the older tonnage that we have to divert some of uh, some of that. So I think what 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 our approach to this has been that you know okay we went into this year we increased the fleet uh, we have added some extra uh, uh, later, but average we have we have we have picked a pretty good price point for. For for these uh, for these vessels and uh, for us now uh, the uh, the needle is moving from from uh, from buying to selling. Um, we will always look for you know attractive transactions, but uh, but but I think that pool is drying up uh, somewhat, at least from our perspective, and certainly on the Cape size vessels, which uh, can you say uh, 
uh, uh, are maybe uh, the ones that we would like to focus uh, uh, on. A uh, little bit more on the cancer markets are still out there, so as John says, but the Cape, Cape market, there's not much modern science to be found. So yeah. uh, so I think our our approach has been that, place some chips on the on the table, uh, uh, you know, because we believed in this, this market. And now we have done that. Uh, I would say that we are probably also done uh, contracting more vessels and will uh, will uh, will um, will uh, now, uh, as I said earlier, harvest uh, what uh, what we can. One more question on the new builds: the the um, the material I read said that they were uh, dual fuel ready, and I, I'm just wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit further for us. Yes, I mean. <clears throat> We did simply not find it attractive to pay an extra 10, maybe 12 million dollar for dual fuel engine. I mean, there's no doubt dual fuel technology is uh, what can you say uh, is better than conventional uh, engines, uh, but it is still not zero emission, and the jury is still out as to whether this will uh, will be the future proof solution. So instead of spending a lot of money uh, uh, with so much uncertainty, we decided to buy time. Um, we expect more visibility going forward, uh, and we also expect technology uh, to become cheaper. So, and I think just you know, it's important for me to say that 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 the vessels that we are buying are coming with all the bells and whistles. They are rated the uh, what we say B plus, uh, like we know from our refrigerators at home. It's the highest rating you can get if you are not a dual fuel. Uh, and our technical department has assured me that they will retain that for five years. So. These are vessels that would buy us, uh, what can you say, five, six, seven years at least before we need to make a decision even on this. So I'd say if, if, if we get in trouble with these vessels, there's a lot of owners out there, actually including ourselves, that would have a lot of challenges. So, 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 so shortly, yes, we bought ourselves time uh, to see more visibility and hopefully also uh, find the right uh, solution at a cheaper cost. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, George, I wonder if you could maybe take a little bit of a deeper dive into the, into the transaction that, that, uh, that Navios announced earlier, earlier in the year and, and that you were alluding to in your, in your opening comments and, and, and kind of go through in a little bit more you know, depth as, as to you know, how you think about it and, and how you think about it in terms of positioning you know, the, the company you know, going forward from a strategic point of view. If you allow me first, I want to brag because we have grown. Brag, please. And I went by three times since the beginning of the year. <laughs> so uh, the transaction with NMA was, uh, of course, a transformative uh, transaction because uh, we diversified, as I mentioned earlier, into the tanker space. Uh, we created the largest US publicly listed uh, shipping company with over 140 vessels. And they're almost evenly split between dry bulk uh, containers uh, and tankers. So. The result, as we see it, is a stronger, more resilient company, which can mitigate sector-specific cyclicality, capitalize on cross-segment opportunities, and provide predictable returns to the stakeholders. Now, we see three major benefits of a large diversified company. The first is the balance sheet flexibility. We have a low leverage, which should not be materially affected by the volatility of any one sector. Uh, NMM, NMM before the merger with uh, Navius acquisition was up at about 30% leverage. After the merger is at uh, 35, and we intend to bring it down quickly uh, down to 30% again. And again, if I may compare that to a pure play company, even if you are 
relatively low levels at 40, 50% at the top of uh, the cycle. Once this, the, the market turns and asset prices drop, you can easily be, become over-levered at over 70, 80%. And as I mentioned, at that point, it becomes very expensive to raise uh, capital and difficult to obtain financing in order to be able to grow. Uh, the second major advantage that we see is in terms of our st uh, chartering strategy. So we have uh, the flexibility to optimize our earnings. Uh, I think everybody in the panel will agree, agree that uh, the container sector is almost at uh, its top right now. Uh, dry bulk follows and the tankers are still lagging behind. So what we have been doing, doing in terms of our strategy, the chartering strategy, we have been fixing on long-term charters at very attractive rates, all our uh, containers. And this provides us you know, the cash flow visibility going forward. And more importantly, it reduces our break-even costs per open day for the whole fleet. And this allows us to play on a shorter uh, charter on a shorter term basis, our dry bulk and, uh, and tanker vessels in order to be able to capture the upside as the market recovers. And the third is what, uh, again, what we discussed in the first uh, question, the capital allocation. Uh, with more predictable cash flows and uh, low leverage, we have the flexibility to buy and sell assets at the right time of each segment cycle. And this is what we have done also with uh, NNA. I mean, the tanker sector was at a low point. Uh, the, the transaction was well-timed, it was opportunistic and uh, it offers a significant upside uh, to our unit holders. And as a management team, I think we have a good uh, track, track record of completing successful uh, combinations. I mean, at the beginning of the year, we combined Navios containers with Navios uh, partners. Again, it was at a time when uh, containers were still relatively low in terms of asset prices and earnings. Uh, since then, container values have grown by 3%. And the uh, charter rates have gone up by four or five times. Uh, and this has resulted in an expansion of uh, the NAV of uh, Navios partners. And as, and as a consequence, uh, we have seen a 400% increase in the share price uh, of the company since we announced uh, the transaction with uh, Navios containers. And we expect further appreciation once the tanker market uh, begins to pick up. So to conclude, what we are trying to do is uh, create an entity that uh, provides an investment platform to a, a wider group of investors that are looking for exposure in the world trade and the global economy. I mean, the three sectors that uh, we operate account for about 80% of the world trade, world trade. So the company and the stock now can become a good proxy uh, for world trade. Thank you. Okay, uh, I'm going to shift back to a question that will uh, go to all panelists, um, and that's around again. It's 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 linked to the strategy, but it's 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 differentiation and, and how do how do each of you uh, how do each of your companies look to differentiate itself um, in in the market vis-a-vis uh, -vis your customers, vis-a-vis -vis investors. Um, you know what where are your competitive advantages? Um, and I will start with Ulrich please. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, it depends on uh, 
where we are talking about differentiation, if it's vis-a-vis our customer or, or, or the investors, I think it's probably most relevant to talk about the investors here today. And it also ties into the strategy and a discussion we are having. Um, but for Golden Ocean, I think there are three main areas where we uh, feel we differentiate ourselves. We focus solely on large-sized uh, dry bulk shipping from Panamax and up. Uh, we are the largest owner of uh, Cape-sized vessels. We have 56 of them. Uh, and that is important because the Cape Marks, uh, market is where we see the largest uh, upside, both on volumes, uh, oh, sorry, on, on, on values, uh, asset values, but also on freight. So if you want, you know, if you want to be exposed to that, then, uh, then you want to uh, own Golden Ocean. Uh, we also have, uh, we can maybe, maybe I can fight with John over this, but uh, we uh, have, uh, we believe ourselves uh, the lowest uh, cash break even for the Cape size vessels, uh, 12,700 per day. And that is an all inclusive uh, cash break even. It's amortization, it's DNA, it's OPEX, it's the whole shebang. Uh, it gives, of course, a lot of uh, 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 possibility to tap the upside, but it also gives some downside protection. Uh, because, uh, yeah, uh, the rates are usually above that level, certainly when you account for the fact that we have scrubbers on our vessels, we have a more modern fleet that, you know, will, will, you will need a lower ball check for us to, uh, to, uh, to, to achieve uh, 11,700. Mm. So those are the two, uh, two ones. The third one is, uh, uh, yeah, I think, actually, as I, as I mentioned a little bit in the, be- in the beginning, we focus largely on the, uh, only on the large sizes, so we are pure play. And as opposed to George, I think that is a huge advantage uh, for the investors that they can, uh, what can you say, uh, decide their own exposure to the market uh, that they want to. If they want to have tanker exposure, they can buy Frontline. If they want to have uh, a dry bulb, they can buy Golden Ocean um, <laughs> and Merck if they want the containers and makes it around themselves. So I think that is an advantage, but, it's, but surely I buy the arguments and I think it depends on the investor time. But that's at least what we would be saying. So the final thing is that we remain spot oriented as long as we believe in the market. Today, we have around 25% cover uh, at around mid thirties until the end of Q2 next year. The rest is spot. So it offers our our investors a relatively clean uh, exposure to the large sizes. uh, And uh, of course, what we make, we share with our, with our investors uh, through, uh, through dividends. And uh, that's a, that's, uh, that's that. So, so, so briefly, uh, yeah, Gold Notion is clean exposure to large size all shipping, low cash break even, and aggressive uh, dividend policy. Hmm. Quick question, follow-up. Would, would, is, is the 25-75 then mix, which you have today, is that one you would see continuing with? Or, you know, depending on the market, could that, could that shift to a heavier component of fixed cover? It could, it could definitely shift. Uh, and, uh, I mean, that is a, that is a fluid, uh, that's a, that's a snapshot right now, uh, but uh, I don't uh, I don't see why we would not uh, try and, uh, and 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 what can you say safeguard even more against the uh, against the Q uh, Q1, which is likely to be a bit lower than uh, than uh, than the rest of the year. Um, Thank you. Thank you, uh, Paulo. How would you talk about differentiation um, as 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 it as it comes to your activities? Yeah, because um, if we focus um, on um, what we're doing with our uh, listed fund, our peers, uh, in we, we now sort of have a peer in that, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Taylor Maritime is, is also uh, listed uh, in London. But really, our peers are those other alternative uh, investment 
funds and asset classes um, uh, that I mentioned. So we differentiate ourselves by um, producing a strong and sustainable dividend that is you know, significantly higher than is available in nearly any asset class um, today. We've seen yields compress and prices increase in nearly every asset class uh, in the world. We saw this um, from 2013-14 for the next few years. Clearly, COVID um, had an impact on that. And then we've seen all of the negative COVID impact um, um, not only reverse, but even tighten, where um, asset, almost every asset in the world um, is, is now at some sort of uh, record uh, measure based on Tobin's Q or based on yields. Um, and so shipping, although as um, you know, we've noted, and lots of other people have noted, asset prices have come up other than in tankers. So bulkers um, have, have come up quite a lot, as John mentioned. Um, and, and container ships have, have risen dramatically, there are still pockets of, of value um, in shipping where you can get strong and sustainable yields that are just not possible um, in, in other asset classes. Um, to be able to offer um, uh, an investor an, um, a 20, 25% unlevered yield on a handy size bulker or an ultramax bulker um, it, it is something that's just really not possible in other asset classes. And when you, you com, uh, combine that with the historic advantage of shipping um, in it um, uh, being um, a good performer in uh, environments of high inflation, which a lot of multi-asset investors are concerned um, about, um, and, and also the decarbonization upside that there will be in shipping. Um, that's what that's what we're offering to the uh, the UK investor base. Thank you, uh, John Wobensmith. How about Genco? Well, um, look in terms of in terms of fleet. Um, you know, we we take a barbell approach. Where we think it's um, ex- you know very important to have direct exposure to all of the commodity classes. So we have a fleet of 17 Cape size vessels, and then the remaining fleet of, of 44 are in the Supra and Ultramax sector. We we like the meaningful upside that is offered in the in the Cape size sector, um, but we also like a little more of the stability in the Ultramax and Supermax sector to uh, to balance that out. So I, I think that is uh, that is somewhat of a, a differentiated approach. We um, we have very high corporate governance standards, um, and and I know that a lot of people talk about this, but the reality is we we were ranked number one um, in Weber's most recent uh, corporate governance and and ESG scorecard. Really, overall, it's not just governance. Um, we've always been in the top quartile, but we 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 were very happy to be. Uh, ranked number one this year. And I think that, you know, as a U.S. filer, really of only one of two U.S. filers, I think, I think that's something that is, uh, is very important. And then getting, uh, again, I'll just go back to our, our debt structure. You know, by, by the time we get to the end of the year, we will have paid off 44% of our debt that we had on January 1st um, at the beginning of the year. So a very meaningful delevering. Um, that $250 million target is 60% of the scrap value of our fleet today. 
or the other way to look at it is the scrap value of our fleet today covers that debt outstanding by 1.7 times. So it is, it is a meaningful delevering event. It is to set the company up, as I said before, so that in any market or anything the market can throw at us that, that we have the ability to continue um, paying dividends. Um, I, will, uh, I, I will push back on Ulrich a little bit because he, he, he baited me. Um, so our, Ulrich, our break even today is actually sub $8,000 a day. Um, and that is a factor of the attractive credit facility that we just put in place. We effectively have no amortization required um, because we have been paying down debt aggressively. Um, now, that doesn't mean we're not going to continue to pay down debt. As I said, we're, we're targeting 250 by the end of the year. So I, I would say I'm not sure who has that kind of low break even rate in, in the peer group um, at this point. And obviously, that allows us to, uh, again, to, to implement the, uh, the dividend model. And I think that's one of the, the biggest uh, differentiators. Um, though, having said that, you know, I, I, will, uh, I will say all these, you know, within the peer group, whether, whether it's Starbulk or Eagle or Golden Ocean um, in dry bulk, these are, these are all high quality companies. And my guess is investors are really buying baskets of these more so than, than focusing on one company. But Genco still has the, the value strategy and we are very much focused on the long term for the company. If, yeah, if I could just uh, also just comment on that, uh, of course. Uh, yeah, so we have, uh, as I said, uh, 12,700 for our capes. Um, so uh, obviously they are making uh, 75,000 while uh, the handies are, uh, and ultras are making 40,000. Uh, so yes, there's a bit uh, higher break even there, but it's certainly a larger upside. And for our Kamsa Maxis, uh, we have a break even of 8,600. Uh, and again, with a larger upside than a smaller vessel. So just to put that straight, but uh, arguably uh, both uh, ourselves and uh, Genco have extremely attractive uh, cash break events. Uh, so uh, uh, I don't think uh, we need to sit and uh, fight over over that, uh, uh, John. <laughs> we could talk about new buildings there, like if you like. Yeah. We... <laughs> Uh, John, just, well John, just quick, quick follow-up. I mean, you, you guys were were kind of early out, first out, with a very clear statement on the dividend, uh, and and indeed an overall capital allocation strategy, uh, kind of at the beginning or early earlier in the year. Um, what kind of feedback are you getting from in, from investors on that? Is that is that is that something that you know they appreciate? Um, obviously, the cash flows are good right now, so. That, that's helping one question there. And, and also, you know, how do they react to the, to the ESG type of, you know, ratings and, and, and how big a talking point is that for, for them? Well, look, so I'll say a few things. One, the, the, the we had a very positive reaction to the, to the strategy that was announced. Um, clearly it's not something that has been tried in dry bulk in terms of driving valuation. And, and ultimately our view is once the dividend becomes seasoned, um, that people recognize that this should hopefully trade more off a of free cash flow yield or dividend yield rather right. than everybody focus on NAV over and over again, which is a, right. a, a continuously moving target. So that, right. that is one of the major factors uh, is, is driving valuation. Um, mm -hmm. On the ESG front, I think, look, it, it's obviously very important to some investors and quite frankly, other investors um, don't ask us questions on it. Um, but as a company, we feel the governance side is, is very important. The environmental and the sustainability side is obviously front and center 
Um, I, I did a panel yesterday that, uh, that, that was very interesting on, on that. And I, I do think whether it's banks or investors or charters for that matter, because charters, let's not forget about charters. They are going to drive this quite a bit, maybe even more so than, uh, than investors and, and banks right. going forward. Um, what, what, the thing I would say, Ted, real quick is, is you know, while we have very favorable um, feedback from investors on the dividend strategy, I, I'm, I'm still perplexed as to why all of the equities are, are trading really below NAV right now. It doesn't make any sense to me. And, and um, the reality is even though CAPE rates are, are, are coming down, they're still at very elevated levels. First quarter looks like it's going to be one of the strongest we've seen um, in, in a decade. Um, so the cash flows are still excellent. And these equities never ran up and priced in the $80,000 a day cape rate. So I, I'm very perplexed as to why things are trading the way they are right now. Um, I think everybody's NAV is, is going to, uh, you know, be, uh, be a surprise to the upside by the time we get to the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, John, if you want to talk about uh, my new buildings, I assume you mean you're interested in buying them. Then uh, they are they are about a million since we bought, so we can we can take that conversation offline. Fantastic, Eric. I I, I will say we are we're we're setting up a, a hotline for for owners so that whenever <laughs> anybody wants to order a new build, you know they can give us a call and I'll talk them out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you you won't be the only one. Uh, <laughs> So, so George, let me let me let me get to you then on the question of differentiation. I think you've 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 addressed it pretty substantively in in your earlier comments, uh, and it, it you know it it offers a very um, interesting and thoughtful way of 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 looking at what at least in my experience you know the default position is from an investor point of view, pure play is 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 the right way to go, and and the way Ulrich kind of summarized it is that's that that's kind of I think very standard thinking, uh, and 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 you know doesn't mean standard thinking is always correct, or that or that things can't be changed. Have you have you on the back of the announcement you've made, have you have you gotten any feedback from investors around this transaction, uh, and and how do they feel about you know your views that diversification offers them a better a better uh, and more sustainable play, and 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 maybe a different trade. It's 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 more of a a world economic growth trade than. Than, than, than any one sector. Yeah, I think we, we had a few meetings uh, at the conference, a few one-on-ones with investors. Uh, so far, the feedback we have been getting is very positive, but you can also see that, uh, that it has uh, been reflected in our share price, which uh, has gone up uh, since we announced uh, mm -hmm. the transaction. Um, one thing I want to say in terms of investors, I understand um, that uh, short-term investors, they want to play the cycle. So they want to invest in the, at the cycle that, where they feel there is uh, upside and it's going up. Currently, dry bulk is probably the sector that's in fashion. Uh, but um, I want to remind you, because Navios has been public for over 15 years. When Navios went public, almost the entirety of our investors were long-term institutional funds. Now, these funds have gone away when the market uh, disappeared and we had a prolonged uh, downturn. Uh, but these are the type of investors that we are trying to attract back uh, to our stock now. And that's why I said earlier, we have created a platform which is a proxy to world trade and uh, the global economy. 
Terrific. Um, by my clock, we have two minutes left. Um, I don't know if that's enough time to really squeeze in another question. So I think maybe we'll just wrap it up here. And, and I want to thank uh, each of you guys for your contributions and, and participation uh, on this panel. I think it's been a thoughtful discussion. Uh, I think there's uh, exciting, exciting times ahead for us. Um, and and uh, I think with, with the challenges that shipping has uh, ahead, I, from my from my perspective, it's it's quite comforting to see individuals like yourselves, you know, and 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 the peers I know you have with you in your respective companies, you know, driving driving your companies and 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 the sector forward. So, uh, uh, good luck to you all, and and thank you again. Thank well, you, Tim. thank you to everybody. Uh, great panel, and uh, Ted and I have been discussing about this idea of putting this panel together that talks about strategy. At the end of the day, I think. Uh, the investor universe is a huge investor. Uh, it's a huge, a, a huge universe. And different investors have different strategies. So I think what investors want is options. And clearly this panel is presenting investors with different options, good options, and let them analyze you know, in their own way what, uh, you know, which strategy they want to go for. But having a corporate strategy and putting it out the way you did, I think is the cornerstone. And uh, thank you very much for, uh, for being with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Nicholas. Guys. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Andy. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.